Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So welcome everyone to the Swolecast, the first ever Swolecast here on Clubhouse. What if this becomes a thing? Like what if what if this becomes a huge Swolecast on Clubhouse thing and Peter was never there for the inaugural episode? Because I don't think such... I don't think we can outgrow Pete at this point. Pete is bigger than the show. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, yeah, he so... has a he has an iPhone now, right? He, he he posted a picture of an iPhone box and it looked like a like a new iPhone box. He had an iPhone before though. He texts me and Pat on it all the time, but it I guess he doesn't have I don't know why he wouldn't use it to get on with Adrian Wojnarowski. Yeah, so if anyone missed one of the Swolecast episodes, he he added himself. He got a invite to be on the stage with Woj and and <laughs> he couldn't do it because he uh, he's a, an Android, and Clubhouse is not available for Android. Um, but anyways, we got Davis Matic, we got Dan Gasper, aka Mister Total O Five. We have um, JJ Zacharyson. JJ, I wanted to have like like an air horn, but I couldn't find one around the house. That's fine. Is that? I mean, it, can it... you? Low, Can you just low, give low me a thanks for tuning in? Can you say thanks for tuning in? Yeah, sure. Should I should I like up my voice a little bit to like be excited excited like I am at the beginning of the, of the late round <laughs> podcast? I feel like if I need to do your music, it needs to be like at one and a half speed because that's how I listen to your your pod. So if you listen to my uh, podcast at one and a half speed, you're done in like thir- like like thirteen seconds. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's my style. Yeah, man. Thanks for tuning in. Okay. I have I have never listened to a podcast at one and a half speed, and I think everyone who does it is a sociopath. Like, Same. Same. what what what's the point? Don't do that. Sam, two X is the only way. Get out of here, man. One Dan, and a half I, speed is one point no. two five is like is the perfect, but if it's not available, one and a half speed. If you can focus on it, if you can't focus on it, then no, don't don't do it. All right, let's let's recognize some people in the room. I saw a uh, former co-founder, uh, Steve Fink. Steve Finkelstein. Uh, he's in Miami now, looking like uh, what do you say? Totally looks like Pitbull. Yeah, Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> he looks so good. Uh, and then we've got Devin, our producer, Scott Fish. Got Tyler. Got uh, Skylar Hoke uh, in the chat. That's that's my guy. I talk about Top Shot with Skylar every day. Really? 
really. We do you know about Top Shot every day. He uh, he used to work for an NBA team, I think. Um, and he was like, he asked one day, like, "Hey, do you guys need any help with marketing?" And I was like, "Yeah, we're good." That was, I think that was in the old fantasy insider days. We needed help with marketing back then. Uh, but we're talking about football. We're talking about top shots. We're taking questions from people. This is just going to be a fun time that we get to have without uh, without overset here. So uh, as far as football stuff, JJ, like how, how in-depth are you into like all the news, free agency stuff? Like you have to write any blurbs or anything? No, man. I just I, – I let it all out on the podcast. Um, but – yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm keeping up with everything for sure. I think, you know, the big news today being the, the John Brown release probably um, and how that affects, you know, the rest of that wide receiving group, in particular Gabe Davis, who a lot of people uh, in the in the analytics world liked entering last season. I think Davis was a fan, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely interesting. I mean, to I can throw a take out there. I, I mean, I, I think it's all warranted to be – super high on Gabriel Davis, given the fact that, you know, Rich Rebar sent a great tweet out that said uh, that he ran a route on 289 of, of 298 potential or dropbacks while John Brown was inactive this past year. And then on top of that, the Bills uh, had the, the highest target share to wide receivers in the entire NFL this past season. It was the second highest that we've seen since 2011. So even if there's some regression there, that'll hit. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very good offense for wide receivers to thrive. Uh, I, I think Gabriel Davis is definitely in store. I mean, his, his, his ADP will rise. People are going to be more into him, uh, of course. But I think that there's reason to believe that, that he come through with a, maybe a lower-end wide receiver two performance if things sort of break the right way. Davis, were you in on Gabriel Davis, or were you in on the, uh, the practice squad? Uh, who was it? Duke Williams is who you're thinking Duke of. Williams. Duke but, Williams. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I actually have Gabriel Davis in a bunch of leagues because he was there. You could take him in the fourth round, and uh, I love to accumulate meaningless fourth-round picks because J.J. knows this. He's in a dynasty league. He's in a couple leagues with me. Every trade I do, I resend a counteroffer and ask for an extra pick. just doesn't matter what yeah. the trade is. Does it's, I just always ask for the extra pick, and a lot of times um, people are just so tired of dealing with me that they just click the accept button. So I have, have lots of those extra fourths. Dave, we're in a, we're in a dynasty league together where I have lots of extra fourths actually. Yeah. That's called the Brit divine method of like just peppering people with trade offers until they finally just give up and accept. Um, I think I had, I had Davis in the Scott fishbowl, which I advanced to like the second or third playoff round. I just want to put that out there. Uh, as far as like the, the cap and the casualties that come with it. We're getting more news than we have in the past. I want to bring up John, John, who January season. I got some tweets yesterday about old John, Smith not being franchise tagged by the Titans. And listen, I, <clears throat> I love John. Obviously I love the Titans too, but I think that this is, this is good news for John U. Smith. The guy is a beast. And I wish he was like, as a Titans fan, of course, I wish he was kept by the Titans, but you know, they've got some decent tight ends themselves and uh, you know, just a, a cap casualty. Where would you like to see John U. end up JJ? 
Oh, man. I mean, I haven't thought about it that much in terms of landing spot. I mean, you know, we just talked about Buffalo. I think Buffalo, there would be an opportunity there um, just because, you know, we saw the uptick in, uh, in, in passing volume in that offense. And we saw, you know, the, the rise of Josh Allen last season. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think that Janu will find a spot where, you know, be, the, the thing with the salary cap situation is that I'm more worried about the Marvin Joneses of the world as opposed to the Janu Smiths of the world where, you know, we, we often see – uh, you know, second contract tight ends be able to to make their mark uh, just because the tight end position takes so long. You know, the guys that play tight end take so long to get acclimated to the game, which is part of the reason why I'm like high on like a Gerald Everett, for instance, who's a free agent right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that he'll find a spot. Buffalo is the first one that came to my mind, maybe because we were just talking about Buffalo. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't I, I can't think of anything in particular right off the top of my head. Davis, you can you think of any landing spots? I mean, what about someone said the Chargers? What about what about what about Dallas? They're they are all in on the passing game. They use the tight end. I mean, we we were talking about Dalton Schultz as a as a low end tight end one last year, just based off volume. Blake Jarwin and Dalton Schultz are bad. I mean, just objectively speaking, they're below average NFL tight ends. And Dallas has the cap space for him, right? It's not that it's actually their cap is not as bad as you think because a lot of the dead money that they had from the end of the Romo era is off the books now. So like they're not they're not paying, you know, 37 million in dead cap space the way they were two years ago and even the way they were last season, which is part of why they had Byron Jones off. But to JJ's point about the middle tier of free agents, I think a lot of the guys like and I all due respect to Johnny Smith, he is a mid to low tier free agent at this point like i'd be surprised if he got big guaranteed money like he will he will i don't eight million dollars a year or something like that less of that guaranteed probably sounds about right for johnny smith i, uh, I thought davis was a blake jarwin truther i'm a, I'm a little confused here. Yeah, i am too by that dallas by that dallas comment well i i was a blake jarwin truther but I mean, like, let's just be, I was a Blake Jarwin truther in the sense of he was going to be on the field playing with Dak, which worked out for Dalton Schultz when it was Dak and it was Andy Dalton. But clearly, Jonas Smith is better than those guys. I'm more of a Dak Prescott, Kellen Moore truther than anything else. Gotcha. I I do think the Chargers, I mean, obviously make a lot of sense, but I'm trying to protect my guy, Donald Parham, there. Yeah, a lot of fantasy guys, Donald Parham. Free Donald Parham. What about the Green Bay offense, Tuttle? Are you are you okay with letting Aaron Jones go? Yeah, hundred percent. AJ Dillon, completely fine. Signed Jamal Williams to a small contract. The thing is, what I want them to do, but they're not. I want them to scoop up one of these big free agent wide receivers, like Galladay or something like that. It's not going to happen, but a man can dream. Literally, will never happen. To, they won't do they it. have to do something though this year right they, like, won't, they gotta, won't they're gonna get like emmanuel sanders or something yep 100%. dude i would die if dust if they sign dusty emmanuel sanders I would <laughs> just die well i mean look what they was it last year they signed funches yeah and then he, two, he, he opted out he got hurt and then he opted out right yeah oh, yeah and I, I was actually excited about funches that tells you something <laughs> i mean how bad? How bad does the AJ Dillon and the the Josiah Daguerre picks look 
knowing what we know about the 2020 wide receiver class that they chose those guys over, you know, trading up or, I mean, it literally even someone like Denzel Mims playing instead of Alan Lazard, like it, it, it's, it's honestly embarrassing from an organizational perspective that they're wasting the tail end of Aaron Rodgers prime, having him throw to, um, what was that? Jay Sternberger, Mercedes Lewis caught four touchdowns last year. Mercedes Lewis playing a pivotal role for the Green Bay Packers is embarrassing. Dude, Robert Tunyon's just clutch. Just three receptions, a touchdown. (laughs) The the problem, though, the problem, though, is that a lot of people will view what's going on with Aaron Jones and him. I mean, it it looks like he's probably going to leave. I I can't imagine that they're going to be able to afford him. But, you know, a lot of people are going to say that Green Bay was forward thinking and drafting AJ Dillon in the second round because they knew that this day would potentially come, which sure, you know, we knew that both Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones were free agents, but that doesn't mean that you had to spend a second round pick to get AJ Dillon. You could have still been able to get even some guy in the third, uh, just given, you know, where, I mean, Antonio Gibson went after uh, AJ Dillon in the, in the third, even the Keyshawn Vaughn and et cetera, et cetera. Um, we just know that it's too soon to mention Keyshawn Vaughn. No, look, look, I, I still, I, I don't think that Keyshawn Vaughn's going to really be a thing. Uh, but you know, there were a lot of things that went against him this season, uh, with, you know, yeah, he had dealt with the coronavirus situation in, in August and then they obviously get Leonard Fournette and, and so on. But regardless, I mean, like it just, it, it's wild looking back and seeing, you know, just a few picks before AJ Dillon, you know, you had Denzel Mims and, you know, a handful of picks before that you had Chase Claypool and, <clears throat> you know, it's just last year would have been a great year for the, for that wide receiver, especially because, you know, you had this window with Aaron Rodgers, whereas this year, yeah, it's a great wide receiver class. I love this wide receiver class. Um, but you know, you're, you're then asking a lot for a rookie, um, you know, on a team that's trying to win right now. Yeah. By the way, if you have any questions, uh, raise your hand. We'll get to them. Talking NFL right now, special guest JJ. Uh, JJ Zacharyson is, he's like the the OG. He was with us in the, the FI days, but late round QB. You know, you talk about popularity. At one point, he was more popular than Peter Overzet. That's true. No one's more popular than Peter now, but yeah, <laughs> at, one, at one point I was more popular than Peter over then. Uh, JJ, let's, let's chat. Let's have a little chat because um, I've, I've said this, like if there's any football pod, of course, other than the in-depth whole cast we, we, we listen to, that I listen to, it's, it's your podcast. You Thank just you. won an award for it, right? The FSWA uh, award, best podcast? Yeah. yeah. I did. How, how how good did it feel to uh, to beat the ballers? Oh, that that was the only reason why I wanted to win was <laughs> yeah. was, was to beat the fantasy footballers. I mean, they win every freaking award. Every I don't think people year. understand. Yeah. They they win every award, but it's it's one of those things. I mean, like we're all good friends with them, and uh, you know, they were very congratulatory. Probably because they know that the next award that we're all up for, they're going to win. Uh, so it's easy for them to be congratulatory. Um, yeah, yeah it felt felt good. It felt good to beat them. Okay, so uh, I gave you your compliment. So here is my, my question now. Okay. In the past, I remember all, last offseason you were talking about kind of being low on some guys that were on new teams, notably Steph Diggs, since we were talking about like Buffalo. Yeah. Has your, has your opinion changed from last season, given like there weren't very many practices at all, very much offseason at all, and some of these new guys did do well? How has that changed your uh, kind of your your grades on guys on new teams this year? 
Yeah. So, you know, the, the Stefan Diggs and the, the anti Stefan Diggs argument was definitely more beyond, you know, him changing teams. You know, there was a uh, regression coming from a yards per target standpoint, which happened. You know, there's the fact that he was playing in what we thought was going to be a fairly run heavy team, which didn't happen. And that really opened things up. And then on top of that, he ends up seeing, you know, a 29% target share or whatever it was. And so things really broke Stefan Diggs way. I mean, it's a huge L for me. I mean, that was probably my biggest miss of the season. Um, but you know, from, from the standpoint of like him switching teams, that was just, you know, as a part of the equation, I think that, you know, it's, it's easy. What I've learned is that it's easy to overstate those changes happening because typically when players are changing teams, they're not good players because if they're good players, then their teams are going to want to keep them around. Right. Um, that's more so for wide receivers, running backs is a little bit different because you generally just don't want to pay the position. So this isn't a knock on like an Aaron Jones. I still think Aaron Jones is very, very good. It's just more so the fact that, you know, if you're playing a position that really, really matters um, in the NFL, so basically anything that stops the pass or enhances the pass in some way, you know, teams, if, if you're good enough, teams are generally going to hold on to you, um, which is why we generally don't see, you know, great, great wide receivers hitting free agency or being traded. And so, you know, that's why it's sort of a, an interesting situation right now with like a Kenny Galladay, um, where I think Detroit was in a, 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 a very just different type of spot. Um, where they didn't really need to keep him uh, because they're clearly in a rebuild mode. Um, and so now you have this true alpha sitting in the in free agency. And if anyone wants to argue that, I'll argue it all day. But, <laughs> you know, you have this guy sitting in free agency who we don't usually see these, like, you know, unbelievable wide receivers sitting in free agency. Now, Stefan Diggs, obviously, it was a trade. Um, but I, I think the, the bottom line, and I, I think that this sort of, like, pours into – what we saw with the rookie wide receivers this past year too, is that none of them had prep. I mean, none of them had the preseason, you know, they didn't get a ton of reps in. Uh, but at the same time, we saw them ball out. And I think that it really comes down to the fact that if you're good, you're good. If you're going to be, I mean, it's that simple. It sounds stupid, but let's not overthink this stuff. You know, Justin Jefferson was going to ball out regardless of what happened. And similar to what we saw with OBJ, his rookie season, not to bring up the, the PTSD issues that Davis has from that season, <laughs> but but I've, I've deleted all those tweets. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and all the Brady Super Bowl tweets too. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, like we saw OBJ just come in, step in uh, and he dominated right away. Um, so I think it's just one of those things where, you know, it's easy to sort of build a narrative around these guys, but in the end, if a player's really good, he's going to show that in the stat sheet pretty immediately, as long as that team is understanding of that. I mean, look, it even took Justin Jefferson a couple of games to really get going, right? They, they, they weren't using him, uh, as as a as a starting wide receiver, essentially the first couple of, of weeks of the season. Um, but once they get that opportunity, if that player is good, uh, it, it they'll show up and they'll be fantasy relevant. Yeah. All right. So I, I really my whole question was just to uh, to get you to take the L on Diggs. Um, yeah, I, t- I, I took I, the L. You can you can toss me that L. I will say in the past five minutes we've had more NFL talk than we probably did in the 2020 season. Combined. <laughs> well, there's just been too much going on. I mean, how can you how can you talk about the NFL when the greatest wealth transfer of our time is happening via NBA gifts? Dude, JJ yeah. pulled a pulled a fire pack the other day. So I did. I did. He got I, he got the last two. He got a seeing star and a rising star. I did. I did. I, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I did get those two packs. And I got a a, a Keldon Johnson, that's his name, right? Uh yeah. <laughs> 
I got, I got, I got, a, his, I got his moments. Is that, is that right? Is that my saying? Yeah, you got confirmed. Yeah, you're, you're doing it right. <laughs> I, th- I think it was a low serial though, too. It was, it was 68. Yeah, it was, it was it's a, a decent poll there for sure. So you, so how, how many moments do you have right now? I don't like nine. Okay. All right. Yeah, I so mean, I'm not. The, you understand I, the premise and we don't have to get into like strictly top shot talk right now. We'll get to it a little later, but like if. If I imagine something's coming to the NFL, like I, I do not see them passing up an opportunity on this whole. It's, it's already, it's already confirmed. Basically. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. Well, and you had, um, you had the NFL PA, who's the, the president. Demory Smith, right? Yeah. So he was saying that like, he has, he didn't give like any specific names. He said they are definitely looking at it and talking about top shots. He's aware. If this comes to the NFL, how big is it going to get? Huge. JJ. Huge. I mean, I, I'm definitely not – I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm, like, the perfect target demographic to talk to about, like – because, you know, if you talk to – I mean, anyone on this uh, – in this uh, right now is going to be very, very into it and, you know, not question, like, the uh, – not, not necessarily question – what this even is right where you know you get a lot of of old heads out there uh and, and boomers just not really grasping uh you know nfts in general but i think that i'm 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 the probably the right demographic to just like because i have no idea really what's going on but i can i can comprehend the idea of collecting via digital right um and i i, I don't i i think that people and this is really me just like like coming to this conclusion on my, I'm not reading anything on this stuff, really. I'm just sort of like reading Twitter and seeing Davis going nuts about stuff and and whatnot. But like, (laughs) like, I don't, I don't really think it's that different than, than collecting anything else really. Um, I mean, I'm a gamer too. So maybe I, I, it's, it's easier for me to really grasp it, but. Oh, uh, that's right. JJ, I, I think you are a hundred percent right about that before he asks you about uh, Overwatch. You are 100% right that there is a huge overlap between understanding NFTs and gaming because people who have been doing gaming for a long time are very used to spending money on digital shit that is no application in the real world. Right, exactly. That's what Gary Vee has said. Like anyone under the age of, you know, 21 understands NFTs. Like they get it. Anyone over the age of 37, they don't get it. Like, I mean, it's a generalization, but kind of. What, was it cross? What's the Animal Crossing? Didn't you like have a Animal Switch Crossing, show? bro? Yeah. So does that? Can you get like NFTs with that? Yeah, I mean, basically any new game that you that that's out there, if they're smart enough, they're 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 doing the microtransaction thing. The problem is there's a lot of ethical questions about the microtransaction side of things with like gaming because you have younger people who are playing this stuff and then they start spending like 500 plus dollars of their parent on their parents' credit card. And then, you know, there, there can be an addiction side to it. But um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't really see it. I, it. It's not hard for me to grasp is what, what I'm basically saying. Like I, I can understand why, you know, I'll talk to my dad or whatever, or even my brother who's older and they like, you know, I tell him that I got this pack and he's like, and I, I tell him what the value could potentially be. And he, you know, they don't necessarily grasp it right away, but at the end of the day, it's not, it's, it's, uh, why is it different than collecting regular cards? I, I, I don't, I don't, 
I don't really see the difference because all those are doing are just sitting there um, and you're sta- and you're looking at them and they're fi- I mean, I used to collect cards growing up like crazy. Oh, I, but, mean, I did. I did too. Whew. Yeah. But like, I just don't see, you know, I, I actually see this as something that's, you know, from a, from, from a, the standpoint of, you know, why do you collect cards? Right. It's from a psychological standpoint, you're doing it because, you enjoy the collection aspect. I think that's just sort of human nature. And you also enjoy like the, the sharing and the community of it, right? Well, with, with NFTs and with it being more digital, with it being digital, you're able to share that with literally with so many more people and then experience that with so many more people, which is why I think we're seeing what we're seeing is because you have a much, much larger community, which means there's going to be much, much more money um, to spend and, and, and get. Especially when them stimmy checks hit. That's right. <laughs> I think we're gonna see we're gonna see things uh take off. Um yeah, there's gonna be a lot of cards that are on sale for uh for thirteen hundred dollars be 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 bought on uh, top shot over the next couple weeks. I think I just can't believe you guys coerced me to get to come in here and talk about top like what am I doing right now? No, top like, shots. It, it, I wanted you for the NFL talk just because um, you know, it's like the old days where we got to have one expert. And... I, I, I got you. I got you. <laughs> well, we, I mean, we do have we do have questions. Should I allow yeah, let's get maybe, to our first. Maybe there's an ever, NFL question out there. Yeah, let's get to our first ever question here on the Swolecast Clubhouse. Michael, what's up, man? Hey. Uh, so I'm sorry to disappoint. This isn't actually related to the NFL. Um, it's actually about Top Shot, but uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, sorry. I've gotten like super into Top Shot um, and something I've been thinking a lot about recently, just with it getting like infinitely more popular, it feels like, especially while it's still in beta is just, I guess, when it's going to reach the point of not totally being a financial investment, which I think given everything that's going on with like, you know, the GameStop and everything and then the timing of Top Shot. I feel like the majority of users right now are seeing it as almost purely a financial investment with like a little bit of fun kind of thrown in. And I think it'll be interesting to see if it ever gets to the point where it is much more like regular trading cards, where when you're a kid, you know, I I still have my entire collection of Pokemon cards. I've never really thought about them as a financial asset. They were just, oh yeah, Charizard breathes fire. That's fucking awesome. And it's like that simple. And I'm curious um, if you guys think that Top Shot will ever really make it to there where it is purely just a collection thing more so than, you know, a financial investment to make money off of. I think it's both. And I think it eventually will get there. But, I mean, you see the world of cardboard cards now. Davis and, and Tuttle and, and DB could talk more about that. But it's it's both collectible and it's for people looking to invest and and make money like and for me it's it's the same thing too like i love the gamification of it i'm going for both of the challenges right now uh but also like the uh, the all-star challenges or the both i'm I'm going for the lebron challenge um and then the rising star challenge i just have Lamelo left which is a pretty big spend but like i i have enjoyed collecting that i've enjoyed the the strategy sessions of like where to you know, what should I buy first, the the market, I enjoy the content around it. But also on the flip side, like, <clears throat> there are guys which we've talked about, my favorite college player ever, Luke Cornett, the only guy I've ever DM'd before 
the only college person I've ever DM before. Like it was his final NCAA game, and I was like, I'm so proud of you. It's just such a boomer moment, but like I love that guy, and so I bought the first purchase. I think I bought was like the number sixty nine Luke Cornett. I'm never giving that up. Like that will never be for sale. So I think you, I think it's got a healthy mix of of both. DB, what do you have to say? Yeah, I was just. I think what we're seeing right now is, especially when we get more sports put into this, is I think this is the sports stock market that people have been trying to create for the longest time. And, and I think it manifests itself through these digital collectibles because the way that you, you can trade these things is not going to be much different than trading a stock. It's going to be instantaneous. And, and I love the fact that these challenges are affecting everything on the platform. And I tweeted about it not that long ago about how all these season one uh, moments, which I think carry tremendous value long term, have completely tanked and it's very clear why it's happening is because everybody's selling them so they can afford to fulfill these other challenges. And, and I think the dynamics of, of this constant evolution of this marketplace is, is great. I think it adds to, yes, I want to make money, but it's also like, I want that badass Anthony, you know, Edwards dunk and I'm going to do whatever I, I can to get it. But how is that going to change everything else? So, uh, I, you know, I completely bought in on this. I think it's it's uh, it's it's here to stay. I just think it's going to be really interesting when we have it for NBA, NFL, MLB, and we've got this all running potentially. You know, maybe even on one platform here on 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 Dapper. So you know, that's kind of how I'm even viewing this in the in the long term of mixed collectible as kind of true sports stock market, which. The only way that ever works is if there's liquidity for it, and clearly there's liquidity right now in Top Shot. Clearly. I, I will say from the like the collectible side, like there are there might still be like the, the nifties that you collect not really knowing the profit. I wanted to ask JJ, when you saw the Gronk nifties come out yesterday. How pumped were you? You know, as as the uh, the biggest Gronk hater on the planet. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I it's genius of Gronk, right? Um, I, I was I was excited about it. I, I I'm very much ready though for like me personally, more so ready just for the NFL to to hit, uh, just because I know the players a lot better and it's going to make more sense to me. And I I think though too is that like you're you're obviously going to capture a larger audience and that'll trickle down eventually into these other sports. So it's just, it's a great thing if they can get the NFL to, to get involved with it as well. But you know, the, the, everybody says about these NFTs is that there's going to be a bunch of crap that like 99.9% of NFTs are, are going to be, you know, borderline useless because what we're seeing right now is there's no barrier to entry behind it. And Gronk is really just another example of that. And that's where I think like the licensing of things like the NBA and the NFL is where, you know, it, it, it's going to have the, the biggest cachet because they're the ones putting their entire name and reputation behind it. Where, I mean, seriously, like Gronk literally made those, those freaking NFT cards, you know, on, in, in, on his computer. Like there's just nothing, there's right. nothing exciting about them. There's nothing that's, that's interesting about them. And he's probably going to make like 
like 250k who knows that might be low when when he sells these things just because they're nfts and they have his name associated with them so i think that world is very dangerous very speculative and and something i haven't jumped in too far for that reason but things that you've got you know entire multi-billion dollar organizations behind um and certainly has a, a direct correlation to real life kind of collecting yeah, I, I think that's why these things are are fairly safe in my mind long term. It's kind of crazy because like um, you look at like the fantasy industry uh, ten years ago, like it was. You talk about football, like redraft football for six months out of the year, and now we've come to. That's why I think that like the the whole NFT side and the collectibles thing. It really does round out where you can now like talk and like give like meaningful content that people will actually want to consume year round because you're and now you've got dynasty best ball nifties you know redraft we've got the unofficial star of the fantasy season with the Scott Fishbowl um, you know it's I just I, I enjoy it from like a content standpoint and all the theories and. And, uh, you know, trying to figure out whatever, whatever, what everyone's trying to do. So, Michael, thanks for, um, you know, basically before before first... Michael goes, he needs yeah. to he needs to dig those Pokemon cards out. He could be sitting on uh, a down payment for a new house. So, OK, so I'll, I'll be honest. I might have lied a little bit. While I haven't actively thought of them as financial investments, I have dug them out. And okay. uh, no, no, no house down payments. I got, I got a couple worth, maybe like a grand here or there, which isn't bad. But uh, I don't have like that, uh, you know, the hol- holographic Charizard, the series one or whatever. So, but I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Well, Michael, thanks. I uh, wish we could give you um, a, a badge for first ever question. This will cast clubhouse. First, uh, first clubhouse moment. Yes, first clubhouse question of moment. <laughs> Put it on the blockchain, uh, Andrew, baby. Andrew is a guy that I actually met through Clubhouse. Um, and I saw that he had a like Music City shirt and like Titans fan, but he's actually like a mix between me and Tuttle because you're you live in Wisconsin, right? Or you you're a Packers fan. I'm born and raised well. Wisconsin and went to school at Wisconsin, so I do have a weird combo of Titans and Packers fandom from growing up and being contrarian. So it turns out that maybe the Swolecast is my new favorite show because it's got a mix of my perfect uh, fandoms and I didn't even know it. <laughs> yeah. Can you uh, yeah. believe Sagar Dave has never had cheese curds before? I No, I did. Remember, <laughs> I tried them a couple years ago. They, they, uh, they squeak when you eat them. You have you had fried you. cheese curds, though? I believe I have at, uh, at Culver's. Okay, I mean that's how's the uh, how's the weight loss? <laughs> fried cheese curds, uh, pretty brutal. Yeah, so uh, you're not going to hit any weight loss goals there uh, with yeah. with cheese curds on a diet. But um, taking it back to I guess the question, I'll open up the conversation with I. You know, I have a million questions probably swirling my head around NFTs and whatnot. But you mentioned from an NFL standpoint of the, you know, the best way to have that stake in a player and actually own something where 
you know, funny enough, uh, NFT feels the most tangible at this point or, or a sports card. But have any of you guys looked into some of these startup apps like Jock Market or Prediction Strike where you're like on the app investing in a certain player and you can buy like shares of that player and sell them? As more is it a buy, sports so card essentially... or is it just the player themselves? No, it's literally just like a, a stock market. And I, I've looked into all of these that have ever existed, I, every athlete stock market, and none of them have good liquidity. None of them explain in the right way where the liquidity would come from, like why someone would invest in it. So I, I think that those athlete stock markets, unless you have the ability to buy into an athlete's future earnings, I think all of that stuff is dusted, and I think that the NFT marketplace is going to be the primary way to invest in athletes moving forward. I, I definitely envision yeah. a future where these NFTs take over traditional sports cards as the way to invest in these guys. Yeah, I, fi- I figured Davis would be dialed in. <laughs> yeah, we've always talked about it, too. Like, even Jeremy Levine, like, his first company, you know, he did the... Um... Uh, the incubator there, I forget what the incubator is called, but like the, the whole port, the whole point of star street was like, it was going to be like stocks for athletes. Um, and then that kind of morphed into daily fantasy and then draft and now underdog and, and who knows what the next venture is going to be. Uh, definitely NFT based with eBales and, and CSU. I like, I'm stoked about that. Just like knowing Knowing those three guys, like Bales and his like vision on things, and Jeremy on the execution side, and then the mayor CSU. Do you know what they're doing? Deals. Do you know? Do you have any idea? I don't. I mean, I'm curious. Do you know like what what this is? No, I have no clue other than like it. It's definitely something in the nifty space because Bales, you know, is yeah. talking about smart contracts and everything else. So. I'm, I mean, it's going to be awesome, whatever it is. Um, I, I will be all in. And, and, you know, a lot of this has to do with social influence as well. Um, all right. I brought uh, Russell Clay. Russell is a um, in, in one, maybe two leagues? I think definitely one league uh, that I'm in, the Dynasty. It's the one that Britt Devine has. Oh man, what what a character! Brick what a what a joyful man he is. Uh, he he uh, he's on top of it in the dynasty best ball leagues. But um, Russ, you are dialed into like some of the prospects, and I just wanted to ask you like who your favorite prospect is coming into this season. Like if someone, because a lot of people now are just starting to like look at the combine workouts. Um, you know, people that are just like freakish beast. What's wh- who's who's the most exciting to you? I just want to throw out there talking about Star Street. Um, number one, uh, I remember like day trading Jamal Charles. I forget when that was, but that was that was a super fun format. It was a shame it uh you know went by the wayside. But I think we're kind of back with all this NFT stuff. And uh, also shout out to the Swole Cast. Um, one of my favorite moments was when uh, uh, Davis GPP'd the turkey. I still laugh <laughs> at that uh, little highlight from back in the day. Um, that's when that's when Davis um, he put the turkey, the frozen turkey, 
for his all of his friends in warm water to thaw it or to thaw it out. And uh, it was definitely a GPP <laughs> But uh, in terms of sort of a guy I think could end up being a late first rounder, I think Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss, really exciting production profile. And I think it would have, I think he would have broken out earlier had he not had DK Metcalf and AJ Brown there already. Um, but overall, I kind of think the, the market's pretty sharp. Uh, Jamar Chase is, you know, I think he's kind of comparable to the quality of prospect like CD Lamb. Like he's in that same tier for me after, after his 2019 season. So, um, this year's like, don't get too crazy. Kyle Pitts, Trevor Lawrence, like I, I wouldn't swing too hard at you know shifting who your number one guys at, at the positions are yeah um i'm looking at kenny gainwell today uh he's he's kind of interesting for an undersized guy i kind of see him like a a ronnie hillman but that's doesn't sound too exciting but that's kind of what i'm working on today <laughs> uh davis or jj are you guys in on elijah moore i know like he feasted a couple games, one against Vandy had, let's see, he had 14 catches for 238 yards and three touchdowns. Obviously, that offense was, like, just super – it was the air raid on, on steroids. But he's 5'9". Yeah. Where, where do you put Elijah Moore, like, as far as, like, in yeah. his wide receiver rankings? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Russell kind of kind of hit the nail on the head in saying that the dynasty – uh, you know, community is sharp enough to sort of know that Elijah Moore has this great production profile. I mean, it's it's arguably the best production profile in this class. Uh, you can make the argument. The thing that the, the thing that I'm a little bit nervous about, and I think that you could you could say this about a lot of guys in this class, even like a Rondell Moore to a degree. Um, whenever you're talking size, is that you know I'm a believer that uh, th- those players could potentially. Um, be pretty versatile at the next level, especially a guy like Rondell Moore, who um, has just crazy, crazy athleticism. But, you know, my fear with uh, with a, with an Elijah Moore uh, is that a team, whoever gets him ends up just only playing him in the slot. Um, and, and I really, you know, if I'm going to spend again, this is all based on the market itself and based on dynasty managers being sharp. But if I end up having to spend a lot to get him, you know, I'm going to want more than a guy who's going to be, you know, pretty focused on just being that slot guy. Um, and so I think that you can make the argument that he's like, cause I mean, there's, there's, it's a very good wide receiver class for sure. So I think you can make the argument at least that like, you know, a guy like Terrace Marshall, for instance, who maybe has a little bit more of that alpha potential um, could, could be ranked ahead of him. But yeah, I mean, I think more would then be sort of right there. He's got a lot of yak ability. Um, he's a very good prospect. And if he finds the right spot, especially in a, in a, in a high volume offense that'll use that their slot and, and you won't have to worry about the fact that he's sort of typecasted that way, then it's not that big of a deal. Um, but if, you know, he, he's just more, he's going to be more um, dependent upon that landing spot than some of the other wide receivers would be. Yeah. And one other, one other thing I'll say is the COVID-19 year really destroyed a lot of the chances we could see for a lot of these prospects. We really didn't get to see, full final seasons for most of these guys and also no combine. So guys like Tamori and Terry from Florida state got 
his his final season got completely butchered. Then we don't get to see, you know, what his speed score is and all that. So I know the NFL teams have it, but you know, Diami Brown as well, the the deep threat from yeah. North Carolina. We just we just don't know what these guys are athletically right now, so we're a little in the dark. Davis, you've JJ. been doing some prospect research, right? Yeah. What do you think of Rondell Moore? I, I started out on Rondell Moore and, and I just watched him a bunch and kind of dug in and now I'm I'm all the way in on, on Rondell Moore and I, I hope he goes to the Chiefs. I hope the Chiefs spend pick thirty one on him. Yeah, I mean, look, like he's one of those players. Anytime that you have a player who doesn't have necessarily the right size that you're a little bit concerned with, that's not going to necessarily, you know, like like a guy like Moore, we don't know where he's going to be lined up in the NFL because it's going to be fairly team dependent. Whereas we know where uh, Jamar Chase will be, uh, Jalen Waddle will be, um, and and so you know Rashad uh, Bateman will be. So there's a little concern for me about Moore from that perspective. Now. Like I'm looking at my prospect model and he's one of the best players in my prospect model right now because his production was insane. He did it as a freshman. Right. Uh, And he's got this crazy, crazy athleticism. And I think that, you know, I did an an episode of the late round podcast uh, earlier this week uh, on BMI at wide receiver and just sort of shared my thoughts on it. And I think that the one thing we have to keep in mind is that number one, the NFL is changing and smaller wide receivers are, are being utilized a little bit more, but also the sample size that we're getting out of college is changing. So if you look at the average BMI of, of first round wide receivers, um, you know, uh, across the last five years and then the five years before that, the, the first round wide receivers are getting smaller and smaller. So there's a sample size issue from that perspective of like, you know, who we're working with. Uh, and what those BMIs look like. And that's going to skew sort of what our studies show to a degree, right? Because first round wide receivers, if you're in the first round, I don't care nearly as much about what your BMI is because you've already shown that you're, you know, there's a selection bias that you've already shown that you're a good wide receiver because the team took, spent a first round pick to get you. So I'm less concerned about that per se. I just think that some of these guys, and there's a lot of them in this class. I mean, you can go down the list, you know, where we already talked about Elijah Moore and then Rondell Moore is another one. And even Kadarius Tony. Uh, all these guys who, you know, we need to know how their new teams are going to use them. So if you're drafting, like if you have a rookie draft before the NFL draft happens, which some leagues do, you know, it's going to be safer to take the bigger guys, the true X's, because we know that they're going to have a role and, and a good role no matter where they land. Whereas a guy like Rondell Moore or Elijah Moore, they might be a little bit more landing spot dependent. And with with Rondell Moore's final season or the last two seasons, he's kind of had to deal with David Bell who, I mean, I'm not going to say he's better than Rondell Moore, but he certainly fits that that archetype of the bigger wide receiver. And I think we saw with Moore's true freshman season, you know, he just absolutely crushed, including against, you know, high-end competition. So he was kind of locked in after age 18, uh, that, that blow-up year. So, you know, we'll see if he goes second or first, because um, that'll change the projection for me. But um, I do, I do like him quite a bit. I mean, at some points during the season, it seems like people were saying he wasn't even the what. Like he's definitely been a polarizing guy, kind of what Davis talked about. Because I mean, he's serious. Like he's small. Like I, I know right. I'm in on him, but he, he is generously five eight. Not, I not, think. Like he might be five six, right? <laughs> right. He really might be. <laughs> DB, what's your take on uh, the Purdue wide receivers? On Rondale? On Rondale Moore? Yeah. 
for yeah, I mean, for like just that Purdue offense because they had Bryson Hawk, uh, Hopkins last year, like the year before last, rather. Like, that's yeah. Talent. No, they've got some talent and they've got some coaching, and they haven't even had a good quarterback. I mean, I think that's the thing to remember is it's not like uh, you know T Higgins catching passes from Trevor Lawrence or uh, or the Alabama wide receivers t- catching passes from back to back you know, top 20 quarterbacks. Uh, they're, they're David Blau and uh, and, a, and a bunch of other, like, no-name QBs here at Purdue and putting up monster numbers. Um, and I think Rondale Moore is absolutely elite. And, you know, I, I, I haven't heard Reeb's take yet, but nobody loves, like, age dominance more than that guy. And as you guys alluded to, like, he was a dominant player in the Big Ten from the first game he played as like an 18 year old. And that, that speaks volumes about, you know, I think how good he's going to translate to the next level. So I am, I am all in on Rondale Moore and I do not want Davis to have the justification or, or the enjoyment of watching him as a chief. So I I'm dead set against that. Actually, <laughs> I mean, some of these guys, um, like, I don't know what the Chiefs are going to do as far as their offensive weapons. It seems like they're set, and they, I got it's just like an embarrassment of riches for them. It's an embarrassment of riches for the Chiefs. Yeah. No, they are about to let Sammy Watkins and Demarcus Robinson go, and they're okay. And Travis the Kelsey, bucket, Sammy Watkins, Travis Kelsey is thirty-two, so their offense is going to be slow. Edward Tillaire, thirty-two-year-old Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, and. They're gonna. They are leaving themselves no other option other than playing McCall Hardman every down. Um, if they don't acquire someone via the draft or free agency, that and, should make you happy, though. Yeah, it's your dream, isn't it? But but here's the thing: as someone who both wants McCall Hardman to succeed for fantasy and someone who wants the Chiefs to continue to compete for Super Bowls, it's it's hard for me to say that I want them to give McCall Hardman 140 targets because Hardman might just be bad. And so I think I, I think if, if I absolutely in my heart of hearts had to answer that question, I think I would rather the chiefs be good than, than Hardman to um, uh, get 140 targets if he's actually bad. Okay. I got a question for JJ. Where are you putting Kyle Pitts? Because we know the not even the narrative, but historically, rookie tight ends just don't produce but this guy is going to be maybe the highest drafted tight end we've seen maybe ever um and he was absolutely the real deal at florida and uh i'm just curious your take on him for like this upcoming season for fantasy and uh your thoughts yeah i mean obviously it would be dependent on where he goes that's a given i i don't think i i don't want that to be a cop-out answer though because it's not my answer Um, but, but I do think that, you know, his versatility is a lot different than what we've seen in the past. I think teams are now realizing and striving more and more for the Darren Waller sort of archetype. Uh, and that's what to me, Kyle Pitts is, uh, you know, whereas, you know, historically what we've seen over the last decade in the first round with tight ends or even decade and a half, however long, you know, like an Eric Ebron was not that. Even a Hawkinson and Noah Fant were not that per se. You know, he's definitely more wide receiver than he is tight end. Um, and it's interesting, you know, I, people ask me to plug in because I don't have a tight end model. I only have a running back and wide receiver one. And, and it is interesting when you plug in Kyle Pitts and the wide receiver one, 
you know, he still comes out looking decent, uh, all things considered. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely down uh, to, to draft him and redraft mostly because, you know, his profile looks good. We know that wide receivers can transition and, and perform year one. Uh, his profile looks good within the context of a good wide receiver class, if you want to give him and put him in that context. Um, but then on top of that, the tight end position we know just generally sucks and we should just be striving for ambiguity and upside if we're not taking one of the big wide or big tight ends early in our draft. So to me, I think, you know, all things considered, I don't know where he's going to end up ADP wise, but um, I think that he's the right sort of player to look at because you're trying to target that ambiguous upside. And I think, you know, of all prospects that we've seen at the tight end position, you know, is there someone that has an ambiguous upside more than what we're seeing with Kyle Pitts? Yeah, it's like, is he more Kellen Winslow and Jeremy Shockey, like the guys who actually produced huge years, or is he more like Evan Ingram? Um, I'd I'd lean, well, I probably shouldn't bring up Kellen Winslow at this point, but uh, <laughs> once once upon a time was an unreal tight end prospect. That's kind of what I see him as right now. I mean, what about what about Jay Samaro? If we want to talk about guys who laid waste in terms of production, oh, yeah. I mean, but the thing is, the thing is, at least what the reason part of the reason I don't have a tight end model is because it's really hard to to project tight ends from college to pro, and in the the production side of things, it matters. But you know, athleticism matters more at tight end than it does wide receiver. Um, and I, I just haven't found the connection, at least with, and, with well. And if they're if they're bad blockers, they don't get playing right. time either. Right. That's why tight end. I mean, like from a dynasty perspective, I actually think that you can make the argument if you want to, you know, if because to me, dynasty is about uh, obviously wanting to accumulate the right players, uh, but also you're playing the market and you're, you're trying to buy low, sell high, uh, you know, always and just accumulate value through trades that way. And so, you know, one of the ways in doing that is obviously to just gobble up a bunch of rookie picks and young guys and then see them appreciate year over year from year one to year two. But we know that tight ends are a different, different beast because they generally don't perform year one. So I think that you can, you can at least make the argument, not that I'm going to follow this, but you can at least make the argument that fading Kyle Pitts in a rookie draft sort of makes sense. There's some logic there because you know that, you know, there is a, like there, there, there is a chance that he doesn't do much in year one, and then you're going to be able to get him for cheaper in year two. Um, But again, you know, you're also playing with other people who understand this concept. So it just depends on, on, you know, what your league type looks like and what the, the players in your league look like. But um, yeah, I mean, overall, I think Kyle Pitts is probably the best tight end prospect that I have seen since I started doing this, at least. I mean, this it, is why that, we need a super flex two tight end best ball league that's, for this year. So that thing about tight ends is kind of true, but like you couldn't have traded for Noah Fant last offseason. Yeah, like, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. The market will adjust. The market generally right. will adjust. And someone like Kyle Pitts, like we know that it's there. And if you even catch a small glimpse of it during his rookie season, if he doesn't produce and you, you catch that small glimpse, his ADP is not going to change. It'll probably still increase for sure. I, um, I think he's just going to play. I think he's just going to play wide receiver in the NFL. I think whatever team drafts him, because whatever team drafts him is probably going to spend a top 10 pick on him. It, it seems like that right now. And I just feel like the NFL is heading in such a direction that it doesn't even make sense to ask your top 10 pick to go out and block. Like he's just going to be like a big slot. I feel like. Yeah. yeah my, I mean, my thing then too, is what happens in two or three years to his eligibility at this positional eligibility. Right. Because the, the reason that you are attracted to a guy like Pitts and rookie drafts is because you're getting that tight end advantage. Whereas, like I said, I plug him into my wide receiver model. He still looks good. Don't get me wrong. 
but there are five to seven wide receivers who I would want more than Kyle Pitts if we're looking at it from a fantasy perspective. So that's another angle to things to think about as you're you know potentially taking him in rookie drafts this offseason. I really like Pat Fryermuth from Penn State as well. I think he's kind of getting pushed down by the Pitts hype a little bit. I see him as a first round prospect. I don't I he probably is gonna go in the early second, but um I I really like him. I think he does everything and could be, you know, a, a real difference maker for an NFL team in year one. So I, I think he's kind of Dan, Dan, mute your mic. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> You just Let me add to that. He's a lock. He's a lock to go to Jacksonville. By the way, they have uh, Penn State's tight ends coach. Um, they need a tight end. Fryermuth will end up in Jacksonville. Bold call. There you go. Hey Dan. Then I'm all time? in. Dan, remember that time that your first clubhouse where you forgot to pick up your kids at gymnastics? <laughs> I made sure that that wasn't a problem this time. I just, <laughs> just doing it while I drop him off. So yes, I. I Making sure not to neglect my kids while I do content. It's great. You can do both at the same time. Okay, that's the beauty of Clubhouse. Um, last question, and then we'll we'll get off the topic, and we might even just end the room. It's been great just chatting with everyone, having football talk, and not having to indulge in Tuttle or Peter's bits, uh, you know, Davis and I. So um, Alabama players that are coming up, you, got, you have three to choose from. I think three, maybe maybe more. Who are you most excited about this year? Redraft leagues, most excited about JJ. Like from a rookie perspective? Yeah. It's got to be Najee Harris, right? No, that's why I'm asking you. Yeah, I mean, it ha- I mean, from a, we, we know that running backs produce quicker uh, in the NFL. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to definitely look his way, uh, especially if he can find that. I mean, I'm assuming he's going to be a first rounder. Um, that alone tells you that the hit rate is going to be pretty, pretty strong. I'm not as concerned about, <clears throat> about his age profile as some are, uh, my model doesn't really care as much about age at running back, which sometimes ruins me like with Keyshawn Vaughn last year. Uh, but you know, other times, you know, it, it allows me to, to get some hits as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, Najee Harris is someone who I'm, I'm definitely excited about, but the one thing I should say though, too, is that Jalen Waddle, if you, if you analyze this stuff through, yep. number, through numbers, you are going to probably see Jalen Waddle's profile and not be all that thrilled. Um, but when you give it context, you know, the, if anyone out there is saying that Jalen Waddle is another Henry Ruggs, it's, it's the laziest analysis you can find. Uh, not, not to call out anyone specific, just in general. Um, Say names, name names. I, I don't, I don't know names. I've just seen tweets that have gone out, and I, I, I if if someone says that, then I just ignore the the handle of the name. But uh, you know, if you look at so Jalen Waddle this year had more 100 yard games this year, where he played four, four had four healthy games, had more 100 yard games than Henry Ruggs had throughout his entire collegiate career. Uh, he was pacing. Jalen Waddle was pacing to have a better statistical season than the Heisman winning Devontae Smith. Um, and, and he's got great game speed. I think he, that he was clocked as the fastest wide receiver in college football this past year. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm just, it's just not a Henry Ruggs situation. Ruggs had one of the worst production profiles of any first round pick that my, that my database had ever seen. Um, it's not a shock to me that he didn't do much his rookie year. I'm expecting way, way more from Jalen Waddle. I think he's a top five wide receiver in the class. I, Davis, you I would agree. 
I'm I, sorry. I mean, I think he has a legitimate claim to be the number two wide receiver in the class because yeah. he is going to put a 4-3 in at the combine, and then the – NFL is leaking some of their uh, GPS, like athlete tracking stuff. Uh, Move the sticks. Daniel Jeremiah tweeted the other day that he was the fastest wide receiver in game speed of any wide receiver in this class, which makes sense given his profile. And I just am not going to fault a guy for not producing as a true freshman when he played with Ruggs, Judy, Herb Smith Jr., Devonta Smith. Like I'm not going to fault him. And I, I think Waddle... I mean, he will probably be a guy I end up with in tons of rookie drafts because people are going to take Smith over him. Uh, people are going to take Najee over him. And I, I think you could take him third overall in a rookie draft and feel comfortable with it. Yeah, I was just going to mention, like, I think since the college football playoff era, recruiting has gotten truly inflated. Uh, the top four teams, the Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, uh, you know, LSU, they get like 50% of the five-star recruits now. So, I mean, when when you say there were four first-round picks on one team for multiple years, uh, you know, Alabama had literally four first-round picks and Irv Smith all competing for targets at the same time. So, um, Waddle did fine for me. Uh, I think he's going to be fine. And, you know, again, that athletic profile, um, I would love to see, but I'm assuming it's great. So, Another first round pick. Um, I, I might he might not be a year one guy for me, but I I like him long term. The, the other thing too with with all those first rounders, when Waddle was a freshman, he was competing with them, right? I mean he was he was posting he was posting good numbers. He out he outdid other first round wide receivers as a freshman, and that, that's another good sign and to feel positive when you're giving some of those numbers context. It's not hard for Tua to look like a good quarterback when he has all these weapons. What if two is just Zach Mettenberger and we had no idea? <laughs> Tua and Cat oh, no. Anytime, anytime <laughs> Mettenberger's name gets invoked, it's so brutal. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Davis was the only person on planet Earth that liked Mettenberger, but not Landry. You know? Well, no, because I was like, well, there was no way to know. There was no way I know, to know. I know. It's hilarious, though. Odell Beckham, man. And it turned out I was right in the end. He, he you weren't one... that wrong, yeah. You weren't he had, that wrong. He, 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 Odell Beckham is just fancy Sammy Watkins, really, if you think about it. All right, that's a little, that's a little much. <laughs> just if you really I, think about it. Well, um, I think that will do it for the football talk. I mean, I feel like we had more talk in the past hour about football than we had in the whole 2020 season combined. I, I love that Tuttle just left. He just left. Yeah, he, he, just, he left <laughs> quietly. <laughs> I mean, it's it's perfect for Tuttle because, like, when the train goes by or whatever, he can mute and just uh, just chill without it. Uh, JJ, are you going to be in Dallas for the uh, the FFGA? The I have no idea. I'll 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 see what what I, I don't know. As of right now, apparently not. It's been so long since anyone got to see anyone else in person. I know. I think I haven't seen you in a really long time. I saw Dan. We saw each other in Vegas about a, what was it? A little over a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Right before COVID hit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, the, uh, at the fantasy super spreader event. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where, where, where Smith was like, yeah, my son has this really weird flu that's been going around. <laughs> like, All right, great. Great. <laughs> 
Smiz, man, we gotta get Smiz on. Uh, there was some security here. detail during that uh, during yes. that uh, FSGA too, if I remember correctly. Yes. Okay, so if Smiz joins, or if if the NFL gets Dapper, Flow, whatever you know, whatever it's going to be called, or maybe it's some other nifty. Let's just assume it's going to happen. Does Smiz go in on it right from the start? Yes. Dan says yes. Yeah, I'd say JJ? yes. I'd say yes. No, Davis. dude. No, it's not his MO. You think he's gonna? You think he's gonna dig his dig his heels in? I mean, I I guess it just depends how popular it gets before he creates an account. Has he not dabbled at all with NBA? No, Mm-mm. man. I it's a perfect and it's the perfect thing for him. And I've told him, I want yeah. him to be one of us. I want him. To join us at the digital table that we are at as we laugh and, and rip digital packs, but um, he uh, he's got to see more transactions, I think, more more withdrawals before. So he's, I I think you know, like I, I think like ten thousand accounts got approved for withdrawals today. Yeah, I mean approved for withdrawals, but he wants to have he wants to be checking. Bank bank statements to make sure people people got them, but he like he was one of the first guys to really go on Twitch and YouTube like in the fantasy space. I just like this would be the perfect thing for him, and I've told him that. Like some things he takes risk with, and others he doesn't. But uh, when you live in the Smith's life, you you can afford those luxuries. I guess. Yeah. As far as man, I don't need it. Oh, we got Skyler uh, with a question. Skyler, what's up, man? Kitchen, you brought it up earlier. That that email I sent and what was I kicked it out? 2016. I wanted to read this close because it's timeless. Okay, as much <laughs> as I wish I could say it is, David. One skill not in my toolbox is cable and wireless internet setup support. <laughs> Hope your life has gotten easier since the Comcast debacle. <laughs> Again, so it hasn't <laughs> changed in five years, it has which not, is great. It has not but, changed. Um, I, I am genuinely impressed at how you've turned into an NFT encyclopedia over the last few weeks. And I fall more on the DV side of things where it seems like there's so many. It's 2017 all over again with me reading white pages for you know coins to start up. And I don't know the best step to take into ones that I feel confident about. And you've obviously gone in on, you know, a handful of them. And I'm genuinely curious on kind of what your method of belief is in some of them. And how do you know to pick out the best ones versus, you know, something that might fiddle out shortly. Okay. Well, first of all, this is not financial advice. I need to, I need to just (laughs) preface that. I would say that we are getting to that point there's a lot of NFTs hitting the space um, and it's only going to like increase. Like we saw Taco Bell, right? This past week um, we've, there's like cyber dudes uh, or crypto dudes. Uh, cyber Kongs is like the digital eight version of, of uh, crypto punks and uh just all sorts of projects that are are coming online and then you got like the so rare um and the the rareable and and everything else like the one of one and i think those are valuable but they're out of a lot of people's price range 
So like when you have the the one artist, um, I forget like how you like all the letters JML, whatever the the one that Peter and, and Levine and, and all those guys are like. You look at a lot of people that are buying his works, and it's like all the like the rich guys, right? The guys that have twenty to sixty ETH that they can spend on a one of one, and that's like out of most people's budget. You know, anyone that's anyone that's like a blue collar or even like upper middle class, like they're you're not going to spend sixty thousand dollars on a, a digital piece. You're you're just not. Uh, so. I would say that as far as the artwork, I'm a little bit more bearish on it right now. Like if I could put anything into uh, like projects, it would be one, the Bitcoin angel that I talked about a couple weeks ago. It is like three X now. Trevor Jones is the artist and he's like actually like doing, it's kind of like the, the Euler beats guys where he is providing incentives for people to hold or hodl. And he's doing drawings He's doing uh, like when Bitcoin hits 77, uh, 777, he's going to do another like family portrait. He just announced that, you know, he's got something big planned in six months. He announced he's going to do a drawing on the 21st for people like someone that is actively like rewarding people that are investing into their artwork. Like that's always good from both the collector standpoint like building a community, wanting to collect, and also just from a, like an investment standpoint, you want to invest in something that that the creator is like actively protecting their investment with incentives. So it would be the Bitcoin angel. Um, there's some other pieces that are like culturally relevant. I think like we've talked about like the Forever Mamba by Boss Logic. And those would be like the two art pieces right now. Other than that, I would go right now just ham into Top Shot. Like we've talked about it. Kitchen, this have you great... have you ever thought about just buying Bitcoin? I do have Bitcoin. But like do you not, I mean not... but like have you ever thought about like actually just buying it and holding it and then you know checking back when it's time for your kids to go to college? Yeah. I do have some Bitcoin. Do you have some A lot of do Bitcoin you have some went into these projects? <laughs> for me, it's just like it's part of like the the whole investing in market thing, like I, I think I've talked about it for people that like love, like like loved simulation games when they were little, that love like Roller Coaster Tycoon or you know Lemonade Tycoon or when playing Monopoly, you know anything like that, it's fun. It's fun to kind of play with the markets as long as you have those funds available. Uh, so, but anyways, back to Top Shot. I mean, I think that. You've, you've seen so many Series 1 right now that are just at lo low prices. You see the LaMelo three-star rookie that he hasn't been this low since February 17th or 18th, which in Top Shot time is like... That's like a year. You know, yeah, it's more than that. Uh, it's like five years. So uh, that's, what I would, that's what I would do is just go, go ham in a Top Shot right now. Moments are so like the good moments because everyone right now with a 30 minute timer, 90 minute timer, everyone's going after these challenges, which I think is smart, especially like the LeBron and Zion, the challenges that we know are coming, but haven't been announced. We know those prices will, will go up. Um, but everyone's going after that and selling everything, liquidating as much as they can. And so that's leaving all these 
like valuable assets on uh, at pretty low prices to to invest in. So that would be my answer because I have no doubt at all that they're going to get all the withdrawal stuff worked out. I mean, they already I mean, are going to see that. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I got, I got so like withdrawal that, access today too. I was one of the thousands. Yep. That barrier to entry is is removed. Like Skylar, like what's like what are you doing right now with Top Shot? So I uh, completed the LeBron challenge yesterday. So mm-hmm. I was in, you know, shortly after the bales um, boom of it. Um, yeah. Completed at, at right afterwards. I think I just finished my twelfth set of. I think I got Simmons as the last one. Um, so I've been waiting that out, but. I, I don't know. I think DB and Jack were going back and forth on Twitter. I, I do agree with you. The S1 seemed to make the most sense um, to get into. Rising Stars even felt a little bit undervalued with knowing that Zion is out there. But that, that entry to barrier is, is significantly higher. Um, but no, I've, I've just tried to at least catch him early. But I'm interested now if I flip it and get back into S1s at the cheap ones or just wait it out to see. Because it seems like that challenge price should only increase increase once it gets moved up um, and officially announced and then I got into a lot of the three badge rookies even the the worst of the players to wait for the badges to come you know end of the month yeah so I was anticipating the badge because originally they said in an office hours meeting that the badges were coming at the end of February so I went and that's all I did was like series one and three star badge guys um and then they said they pushed it back till the end of February. So I sold like a bunch of the bad, the bad three star <laughs> badge rookies, the guys that I just don't think are going to be any good. Um, and like nothing against like Toppin, but like he, he, his, I, I didn't think his rookie card should be like almost 700 bucks. Yeah, he's like um, a huge plummet. I own I own way too many Jalen Smiths for how little playing time he played this entire season. So, yeah, but like they, I mean, and they might do like a three star challenge coming up in the future with with those guys are valuable. But like Merrill and and those guys, like I, I, uh, I, I was just down on them. Um, but also Lamelo coming back too. Like I think that what we're gonna see the progression is we've seen everyone go after the, the stars challenges. Well, first we saw cool cats. Now we see these stars challenges. I think that though, you know, you can easily get in now for probably three or four weeks ago, what you were going to with the cool cats challenge, but we're going to go from these two challenges to series one to the cool cats. And at the end of the month, people are going to go to, the three-star badges like that's that's how i think the progression is going to be because we've seen the markets are so like overreactive like they are or reactionary like they are going to just chase the shiny object so that's that's kind of where i'm at so originally i was like okay with with just like waiting because i had all the series one moments i had everything i wanted but then they came out with the anthony edwards challenge dunk Mm -hmm. yeah And like, I was like, I want that. Like I've always, like I said, as soon as the dunk happened, like I want that. So I liquidated a bunch of stuff, did whatever I could. And and now I just got to get the Lamello for it. But I mean, that's, that's kind of where, that's kind of where they get you, you know, where you think you have a strategy and then they change up things on you. And uh, you, you kind of have to, uh, to navigate the market. I'm curious. 
Davis. I didn't say anything. Oh, sorry, I'm not on mute. Yeah, I'm saying, like, where are you right now as far as, like, Top Shot goes? I just am holding season one stuff and buying some season one stuff. I don't have I don't have uh, the Dapper Bucks right now to do the Rising Star. Bro, so, you got 30K from that hero stuff. <laughs> I've been I've been withdrawing though. Um, but I, I bought I bought a bunch of other series like I have a I have like six or seven series one Moms, uh Trey Young and, and SGA and some other some other series one stuff and I'm just some kinda holding the series one stuff and ready for, for Top Shop to uh you know to go to the moon basically. Hey, I, here's my question. I think we should end this soon. Is do we think they will allow gifting once again anytime soon, or do we think that's done? Or and should it be? They have to, I think, because a lot of people probably. Ha- I I have a pending deal where I bought uh, Vucevic off one of my friends when gifting was down, assuming it was going to come back up. Gifting hasn't been up in four days now. So I haven't been able to get my Vucevic that I paid for to one of my buddies. So I think what they'll do is they'll bring it back up and then they'll say April 1st, May See, 1st, whatever, no more gifting. Why why do they care whether or not like you're right, off well, your 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 off platform transaction actually happens? Why do they care about that? They don't. Well, here's they don't care. here's what I would say is that uh Usman said this was last night. He said on gifting uh, this is in their site status issues channel on Discord. He said, on gifting, we're working on a longer-term solution there. Likely won't be rolled out tonight, but making progress for some time in the next week or so at the latest. So it sounds like they're going to open up gifting. You also had Roham say in um, one of the chats, either office hours or like late-night Discord chat, where you like it's okay if you and your friends – collaborate to complete a challenge. Like, I, I mean, I thought that was pretty big for him to say that. And that was like one of the things when we first kind of got into the space, like after the bails time, it was like kind of a foreign concept to me that people were renting out their moments to complete challenges. Like if they had two of something, they would rent out one for a certain price off market. And then the guy would gift it back to them. You know, obviously it takes a certain level of trust there, but um you know, just another uh, another angle for collecting and collaborating, which I think adds to the excitement. Like getting your buddies, all y'all open your Cool Cats packs and seeing what you need to do to uh, collect a challenge, Luca. You know, that's like that. That would have been cool. So there's a lot of negatives to it, though. There's a lot. I think. Well, their biggest incentive to not allow it is that a huge chunk of their income stream is the 5% chunk off of transactions that they don't get yep. from the moments. And those actually cost them money because they still have to pay the gas fee um, on the back end for that transaction on the blockchain. Well, I don't know how that works with, with flow, but I, I, to me, the biggest issue is like multi-accounting. Like whenever you, you have, yeah, you know, someone with twenty accounts and they all enter for packs and then they, you know, they transfer. But I think we'll start to see smarter, kind of forensic type uh, accounting where where you can understand. All right, this person's not purchasing anything; they're just buying packs and gifting to this one other person from the same IP address or whatever. You know, that's 
So I think some of that will be curbed. We saw it in in DFS. I think we'll I think we'll see it come to uh, the fantasy space as well. But all right, well I, I think we can just wrap it up. Davis, final thoughts? Uh, you know, just just diamond hand your series ones. I know people are going to be panicking. People are going to be sad about checking their evaluate market and seeing their account value go down, but. If you are, you know, not just withdrawing and flipping pack stuff right away, I think that you should feel incentivized to just hold on to your uh, Series 1, your three-star rookies and and things like that. Yeah, I think people are liquidating for these challenges right now, the Series 1. That's, that's my theory on things. But certainly people that are exiting. Um, all right. Dan, do you have a final thoughts? No. This was fun. I thought it was pretty. It was a. It, it worked all right for for once. And it's a shame that Overzet couldn't be on. Such a shame. Yeah, it is a shame. I did see. Uh, you know, you can't hide from the blockchain. I saw her yesterday. He purchased a Tyler Hero, uh, like at one thirty, and then another moment who was Halliburton at like six thirty. <laughs> so he's lurking in the shadows. I'm sure he uh, he understands like the bit equity he's missing, but he needs his time to recharge that fella. So maybe he gets a, uh, an iPhone and can join us for some more. I like to do like some behind the scenes. We'll cast stuff, just some fireside chats, but uh, thanks to Russell Skyler. Um, obviously JJ for joining us is good. Having JJ back on Michael and Andrew for the questions, Devin for producing, uh, make sure that you follow this. we cast on Twitter, on YouTube, Even we started a channel here. So that will do it. Thanks, guys. We will see you later.